In today's Holy Gospel, it says, Then Jesus saith to him, Be gone, Satan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Do you know what a TKO is in the sport of boxing? It stands for a technical knockout. It happens when one of the boxers gets knocked down by the other three times in a single round, then they call the fight. And because it is clear who is superior in that fight. Well, more on that a little later on in the sermon. But now a catechism question. Did God create the devil? Careful, it might be a trick question. God created no devil. He created only angels, beautiful beings, pure spirits without a body, beings who, among all the other creatures of God, resemble him the most. The angels were created in the state of grace. And so, no, God did not make devils. Rather, it was pride that changed the angels into devils, as the saints do tell us. The bad angels, at one time so very good, are our mortal enemies. They at one time had thrones in heaven, but lost them. And now man, if he perseveres, will fill them. The Catechism Explained says that with all their spite, they can do nothing against God, try as they may, so they vent all their fury against man who bears the image of God. But why? What have we ever done to them? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas answers. He says, the knowledge that a creature of earth will occupy his place in heaven causes the devil more pain than even the flames of hell. The life of man, it is surely a long drawn out battle for a throne. There are along the way those who help us, and then there are those who hate God so very much that in order that God be glorified less, will spend their whole miserable existence and use all of their power to prevent any one of us from filling those heavenly thrones and thus glorifying God. And these devils, these enemies of our salvation, they are not as they're depicted in cartoons with a pitchfork and they say funny things, no. They are filled with such rage that the destruction of mankind itself would not satiate their hatred. They unceasingly seek to take away the life of grace in our souls, going about, as St. Peter says, seeking whom they may devour. And they are clever, theologians tell us, clever in deceiving, and often they form plans and lay traps which ensnare the most intelligent among us. 
After having deceived Eve by all of his tricks, he then continues to use the same means against us, only we are much weaker than Eve was. And over time, Satan has grown in experience and become more subtle, so much so that today he knows the best way to get at us is to hide himself. St. Pacomius, he was one of the desert fathers. One day the devil appeared to him, and Pacomius asked him, he said, God alone knows all future events. How is it that you know everything that will happen to my religious, my monks? And the devil responded, I do not know what will happen to them, but my great experience enables me to make conjectures which really amount to certainty. He lays snares in all places. He is a skilled hunter of souls in solitude and among crowds in the city as well as in the country. He studies our temperament inside and out and all of our inclinations and he attacks, always attacks that part of the soul which he finds to be the weakest just as enemies in war long ago might have attacked the weakest part of a, of a fortress and thus bring down the whole castle. And it is said too that if the devil fears that we will overcome one temptation, then he will attack us with several. And at a time in which he sees us less able to resist, for example, when we haven't been to the sacraments in a while, or when we haven't been praying. And by the way, have you ever noticed how it gets harder to be virtuous and to avoid sin towards the middle or the end of the week? Have you ever noticed that? That's because we aren't receiving the sacraments as much as we need. We need them. You'll go home today all filled with fervor because of the sacramental graces given. And if you do not keep up that sacramental fervor, you will weaken, and the devil knows it. The devil studies God's designs on a soul and tries, therefore, to prevent us from cooperating, going along with those designs or plans. So, for example, they divert people from following their vocation, whether it be to the married state or to the priesthood or religious life, and they thereby convince souls to enter a state of life to which God did not call them. And fine, their goal is to trap men into doing anything, anything at all, as long as it is not what God wants them to do. Well, what else do they do? If you do enter into the vocation to which you are called, they still insert themselves. They will have us to neglect our duties. And so oftentimes the devils will prompt us to pray when God would want us to work. 
They will tempt us to be angry when we are prevented from doing some good work that we wanted to do, to be unsettled and lose all of our peace because of our faults, to give in to irritation at ourselves at the faults of others, and to forget our own. But above all, since the devils are without peace, they do everything that they possibly can to cause us to lose peace of heart, or at very least, they will give us a false sense of peace. Now, in the Gospel today, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And let's clarify something here first of all. The Holy Ghost did not directly intend that the devil's temptation should attack Christ, as if to say that the Holy Ghost led him into temptation. No, but the temptation was permitted for a greater good, and that is for the sake of Christ's victory. Now, one of the reasons given for this incident in our Lord's life is that Christ might teach us how to resist temptation when it does come, and also not to be overly troubled when they do come, because they will. St. Augustine said, Christ was tempted that the Christian might not be overcome by the tempter. And St. Ambrose very beautifully says, when thou art tempted, recognize that a crown is being prepared for thee. Take away the contests of the martyrs, you take away their crown. Take away their torments, you take away their beatitude. We must remember that Lucifer ambitiously sought the hypostatic union. Now that's a fancy theological term for when the second person of the Blessed Trinity, God, took on human nature and became true God and true man at one and the same time. Lucifer sought that hypostatic union. And when he heard that God would become a man, he immediately became envious, thinking that God should take on the nature of an angel such as himself, so beautiful and so powerful and so much above man. In other words, what Lucifer truly wanted was to become God. And when he heard God's plan, that is when he said, non serviam, I will not serve. So the devil, when he foresees that someone will, by following his vocation, for example, will do much good for souls, the devil will attack him with so many temptations of all kinds, and this is done to try to discourage him, to dissuade him from entering that vocation. This, is, this happens a lot with families with priestly vocations and religious vocations. He does it so as to discourage the future priest so that he can destroy the, har the future harvest of souls which he fears that priest might reap. 
In other words, it's the maxim, choke the seed and you will choke the fruit. So he tempted Christ for two reasons. First, to find out if he truly was this true son of God. Remember, our Lord went into the desert right after he was baptized in the Jordan. And the devil heard, Lucifer heard, the voice of the Father in heaven saying about Christ, Behold my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Only the devil wasn't sure how God meant that. Was he an adopted son? Or was he the true and natural son, and therefore God? And secondly, he tempted him that he might entice him to sin. In other words, again, applying that maxim, he was hoping that if this was the true son of God, he was hoping to strangle him, the seed, the parent, so that all the fruit, the Christians, would be put to death. And so he came with his first temptation and said, if thou be the son of man, command that these stones be made bread. He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. And now the devil knew quite well that a mere man could not change stone into bread. He knew also that an angel could, but it would take him time. And he knew that only God could do such a thing as that immediately and on the spot. And so it was a test to see if Christ was the Son of God. But Christ then gave the answer, which left Lucifer wondering. Not in bread alone doth man live, but in every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Next, the second temptation, the devil took him unto the holy city and set him upon the pinnacle of the city. This was, again, to find out if Christ was God, and this was his reasoning. If, if he is God, he would not allow me to carry him through the air, as he did. But Christ did suffer this, and he left Lucifer in doubt as to whether or not Christ was God. And he said, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. That is, if you are the Son of God, do it. Show everyone now your power and your glory by gliding down from the pinnacle of the temple unharmed. And our Lord said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And the third temptation, he takes him high to a mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says to Christ himself, imagine, all these will I give thee, if only falling down thou wilt adore me. This is what Lucifer has wanted since the beginning. This is why he has invented idols, so that he could receive through them some sort of worship which belonged to God alone. 
And so after Christ refused to work those first two miracles, Lucifer became more and more certain that Christ was not the Son of God, and so he tempted him to worship himself. And our Lord said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, The Lord thy God shalt thou adore, and him only shalt thou serve. One scripture commentator says that this is the first spiritual TKO, technical knockout, three rounds, three times, rather, one round, and Lucifer was knocked down three times, and he flies away, defeated. The match is over. Now, what is temptation? I will not give you a definition, but perhaps a description. All temptation tends to this, that we should prefer or choose the creature to the creator and so make an idol of him. This applies to venial temptations as well as mortal. But our Lord teaches us, by his words and example, that every temptation can be overcome by grace, by a determined rejection from the outset. If you listen to the temptations, like Eve did, you'll fall. But if you reject them right away, you will not fall. Our Lord teaches us, too, that Scripture quotes recited aloud as prayers are powerful against the devils. So recite them. I can do all things in him who strengtheneth me. And finally, remember, remember the presence of your angel who is always with you. Invoke him, remembering that he watches, he prays, and he fights in your battles. And he rejoices finally in your victories. O holy angels, our guardians, defend us in the combat that we perish not in the dreadful judgment. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.